That is the truth. You may be seated. If you open your Bibles again where we just read to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Before we come to hear the word of the Lord this morning, let's bow once more for a brief word of prayer. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we ask for Your help once more before coming to the preaching of Thy Word. Lord, we have an enemy here this morning that desires to take us away from Thy Word, that desires that we would not hear what You have to say to us this morning. But we praise Thee that we have one who also fights for us this morning. And we ask that You would contend for us, that as we... Look, Lord, at this story of thy people so long ago. You'd speak to us today. You'd speak to us words that we need to hear for our many trials as we go through this world. So, God, our Father, we ask that you would stand by us, that you would have the victory this morning, that you would have the honor, not man. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen. And amen. The sun is setting. Encamping beside the Red Sea, there are over one million Israelites. These were a people that still had scars on their bodies from the cruel bondage that they were under in Egypt for 400 years. But as the sun is now setting on them this evening, if you were to look among them, they are now a happy and a joyful people, more happy than they had been for hundreds of years. As they go forward, they're marching to a new home, to the promised land. But as the sun sets, as night falls, they could look backward towards Egypt, the land that they had just come out of, and they see something that takes away all of their joy and all of their happiness and their hope of a better life is shattered in an instant when they turn and see that Egypt, their captors, they're following after them and they're coming for them. In a moment they are overcome by fear and anxiety because they think they know what is about to happen next. They know in their own mind that they are about to be killed All the women and the children will be slaughtered in perhaps what it would be the greatest atrocity the world had ever seen when a million souls will be slain by the Red Sea as the Egyptians will commit genocide. And in this moment, the people begin to accuse Moses. They accuse him that he had led them there only to die. But Moses... He is the only one that we see here out of a million people by this Red Sea who is still remaining calm. And in his reply to Israel, he says, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. In the moments that follow this, the pillar of the cloud stands between Israel and the Egyptians. Moses will lift his rod, and the Red Sea will divide 
Israel will cross it on dry ground. And when the Egyptians try to follow them in their rage, they will be drowned when God fights against them and takes the wheels off their chariots. They'll be drowned in that Red Sea, and in the morning Israel sees them on the shore, never to afflict them anymore. In one night, a million people will go from accusing, accusing God by accusing Moses through fear and anxiety to total peace and joy as they come to the other side of the Red Sea. As we look at this story, it's something that we all need to be very familiar with. Because all of us either have come or we will come to a Red Sea of our own. That is a place where we feel we've, we've been backed into a corner. Where we have lost control over, over something in our lives, over perhaps everything that is happening in our lives. And no matter how much we want to change what's going on around us, we have absolutely no power to change our circumstances. You know, this happens when a man, or perhaps even a woman, can no longer provide for their family. At a loss of a job or stuck at a job, that just, it doesn't pay enough for how much how their needs that they have. Or even when COVID first came to these shores... You know, regardless of what our opinions of it are, one thing was certain, pretty much everyone in the country was somewhere they didn't, in a situation they did not want to be in with very little power of their own to change anything. Anxiety, as what the children of Israel experience, comes with, with debt, with bills that cannot be paid, with health that begins to fail when there is no remedy that is known even troubles in the home that cannot be fixed by the ability of, of those who are in it. And with any of these things comes anxiety. Anxiety, which is described as it's worry or nervousness. Usually it's fear about something that we think is about to happen. We think we know what is about to happen next, and because of that, we become very nervous, we become very anxious, and we are afraid. That is anxiety. Fearing that with every passing second, something is about to happen, and we can't stop it. And our minds become tormented by that familiar phrase, what if? What if this, what if this happens? I, then there's nothing we can do. And when that happens, when anxiety comes, our anxiety can accuse God the same way that the children of Israel accused God through Moses. When they told Him, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? They were overcome with anxiety and they began to accuse Moses, but Moses was the servant of the Lord who was only doing what the Lord commanded him. And because of that, the children of Israel in that moment were accusing God because they were overcome with anxiety and fear. And our anxiety can do the same. Though it won't perhaps do it as, as explicitly as the children of Israel did. If we live in constant fear of what is about to happen next, those fears can 
often come before the Lord and accuse Him of not caring for us, of not giving us exactly what we need and not doing all things well. If He was doing all things well, we wouldn't be overcome with anxiety if we believed that. But none of us, myself included, want to be plagued by anxiety. We do not want to have anxious hearts. We don't want to live in fear of what might happen. And above all else, we don't want to accuse God through our fears. And so we ask ourselves, or we come to the question, what is, what is the cure for anxiety that comes from unbelief? What is its cure? Well, the, the Word of God shows us exactly what that cure is in this story that is before us. And for our purpose today, we're going to see this cure in three places. There are more things that could be said from this passage, but that is where we'll leave it this morning. That's where we'll begin as we look at this cure. As I entitled this message, Anxiety's Cure at the Red Sea. Anxiety's Cure at the Red Sea. And the first place we're going to see this cure is actually at the road to the Red Sea. When Israel was was faced with this great trial, they looked back at everything that God had done for them, and they saw it as it was only setting them up for failure. But this didn't have to be the case. What God had done for them on their way to the Red Sea could have been used at the Red Sea to calm their anxiety, to calm their fears. The first thing that they could have remembered is that God had freed them You know, what would it have taken for Israel to free themselves from the Egyptians? They had no military power of their own. They had absolutely no wealth or anything to offer to another nation. And if another nation was to look at Israel in their bondage, there was not a single people anywhere that would risk one of their lives to save Israel and to set them free. And even if another nation would arise to save them, no one had the power to overthrow Egypt. No one. At this time, they are the strongest nation in the world. The strongest nation of any of them that surrounded them. But in the midst of that hopeless situation that they were in, God sent one man. He sent a single man to do this work to set them free, and that was Moses. And God stood with His servant as He brought upon Egypt ten plagues that displayed to the world the power of God and His ability to free His people. And in all of those plagues, one thing was true. One thing for certain was shown to be true, and that was no one could stand against Jehovah. No one could stand against God. He fought against Egypt, but He fought for Israel. And we turn this on ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, has God ever fought for us? From the best of my understanding, those of you who are gathered here this morning, you've been Christians for some time. If I was to ask you to, to, to get ready to give your testimony, to think of a time that you were without strength, where you didn't have any ability to help yourself in some situation that you were in, 
but you could honestly come up here and tell me the Lord fought for me that day. No one else could help me. I could not help myself. But the Lord, He helped me when I could not help myself. So then, in times past, if that's the case, you know, when we find ourselves at a Red Sea today, or in the future, there is then, if you can tell me a story of a time the Lord has helped you, then there is a time where you can look back. You can look back and you can tell me of a time the Lord has helped me in the past. A different time. I was without strength then, just like I am now. I couldn't change my circumstances then, just as I cannot change them now. Well, if that has been our condition in the past, then we have to strive to believe the Lord will fight for us today as well. His arm is not shortened and He has not grown weaker since the trials that we have faced yesterday. He knows of them today just as He has in the past. And His arm is not weakened that He cannot deliver His people. And He will fight for us. The second thing that Israel could have remembered in this is that God, He not only freed them, but He provided for them. You know, Israel did not just, they, they didn't just walk out of Egypt. They didn't just flee or run away in the night or something, anything like that. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, we read, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. They borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Israel did not leave on the run. They left Egypt as conquerors. They left Egypt as those who had spoiled their captors. And they spoiled them because they took from them the things that they would need for the journey ahead. They, were, they, had, no, they had no money or finances or riches of their own. They had nothing. But if they were to become a nation, they have to have something. And they spoiled the Egyptians. They also didn't, they didn't have the clothes they would need. And so they took even from the Egyptians raiment that they would need that the, Lord, that the Lord provided for them for their journey. As Israel was standing at the edge of that Red Sea, where they could have looked to be comforted was the clothes on their own backs and the shoes on their feet. Because God did not give them clothes to be butchered in. He gave them clothes that they would be provided for on their journey to the promised land. But as we look at that, I must say, and I believe all of you must say as well, that God has also provided for us. All of us come to the Lord's house, and in days gone by, the Lord is clearly, by the fact that we are all here, the Lord has always provided for us. Even when it seemed that we would not be provided for. I remember that even when I came to, to Greenville, South Carolina to begin, begin training for the ministry, I couldn't afford it. I could not come to Greenville. The Lord was calling me, I believe, to this work, and I could not come unless He paid for it. But by the generosity of the people of God, that's the only thing, that's the only reason I'm able to be here. only reason I'm able to bring this word to you this morning is because God provided then when I could 
not even provide for myself. If I were to ask you, has God provided for you? Has God provided for y'all in the past? I fear that we often, far too often fear that God provided for us yesterday, but we're not as sure about tomorrow. We're not as sure that He'll provide for us in the weeks to come, and we're not as sure that He'll provide for us in the years to come. There are expenses and there are things that we need, and they're coming up down the road. Is God going to provide for them? Is He going to, is he going to stand with us? But that's where anxiety thrives in the fear of what might happen tomorrow or in the years to come. But we read the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 when he, read, when he said, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? You know, if, if you owned every animal on the face of this earth, every vegetable, every fruit, every piece of ground, and you had a child, would that child go hungry? That's a simple question. Well, the Lord owns all of those things, and His children do not go hungry. Christ was willing to lay down His life to provide for us salvation. There is nothing, there is nothing more precious that, that we could ever own in our entire existence than our salvation, the fact that we are saved. But if He provided that for us, will He provide for us a car, food, clothes? We must say that He will. What greater thing could He give than to prove that to us than His own life? But we look lastly at at what they could have remembered, it was that, it was that God led them. When, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they did not just follow Moses wherever he led them. God did something for them that the world once again had never seen before. In Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, we read, And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of a cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. With every step the children of Israel took on their way to that Red Sea, they could look up and they could see that that pillar was there. It did not matter what time of day it was. They could look up at night. In the middle and the darkest point of night, they could look up and see the light was still there. And during the day they could look up and they would see that it was still there. And what they saw was that God was with them. It did not matter what time it was. You know, this pillar of fire, it also, it led them away from trials and temptations they didn't even know about. In Exodus 13, verse 17, we read, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, Although that was near, for God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. God led them away from a trial that they were not 
ready to face. And it was God that led them exactly to where they were now at the Red Sea, to a place where they would be cornered, to the place where Pharaoh would think they were trapped and he would come out after them. The very place where all their anxiety came from, that was where God led them. That's exactly where He wanted them to be, was by that Red Sea. But even while they were by that Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming to kill them, and their hearts were starting to become afraid, they could turn and look up and that pillar of cloud and of fire was still there. The Egyptians are drawing near, and if they get closer, they will begin to fire their bows and their arrows, and they will first rain down upon us, and then they're going to come, and they're going to cut us to pieces. The Lord is still there, though. He's still right there. Though the enemy was thundering towards them. And you and I can feel trapped, feel trapped in our situations, but at the same time, it could very well be true that That's where the Lord has led us to. And it is true that we are, when we come to those, when we come to our own Red Sea, that's exactly where the Lord wants us to be. Because He has led us there. He's come to the place where we are tempted to be anxious, and that is His will. But just like the children of Israel, He doesn't lead us there so that He can leave us there. We don't have a physical presence of the Lord to look up to like Israel did. But we do have promises, promises that they didn't have. The Lord spoke to His people. And He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that for us is a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud that stands regardless of anything. It is true, period. Regardless of the enemies that draw nigh, that promise of God stands. And it stands sure. And wherever, wherever God leads us, He will not forsake us. Even when we are overcome with anxiety, even when we begin to accuse Him that He has led us here just for our own destruction, He's still there. Israel deserved to be forsaken by that Red Sea because of how they spoke of God. He didn't forsake them. Though they didn't deserve His presence, He did not leave them even for a moment. He stood by them. Well, those are the things that Israel could look back on to cure their anxiety. We're going to move on now to look secondly in this cure. The second place is the enemy at the Red Sea. In the first place, we look at under this, the enemy without and when, when the Egyptians were coming to kill Israel, when they were coming to kill him, Israel didn't realize something. And that was that the Egyptians were coming against them as the enemies of God. And if we're to understand this, if you remember that recently the Passover has just taken place. You look just before the Passover happens, Pharaoh is not willing to let Israel go free. And the death angel is going to come in that night. And if the firstborn of every Israelite and every Egyptian was to die, Pharaoh would not set them free. He would not let them go. There's no reason to. If God fights against Israel as well as the Egyptians, there's no reason to let Israel go. 
But the firstborn of Israel did not die because their life was redeemed. It was paid for by a lamb so that they could go free. The price of their freedom was the death of the lamb. And that is a type, it's a picture to us of Christ. That the price of a sinner's freedom is the death of Christ. So Israel, as they are leaving Egypt, they are a picture of the sinner being set free from slavery to sin and slavery to the devil by the death of Christ. What happens to that picture if Israel dies at the Red Sea? If Israel dies at the Red Sea, then the redeemed of God are slain by the devil. That's the picture that is painted if they are to die, if Christ forsakes them. And they should, they could have known that. But we turn to apply this truth to ourselves. And I can ask you another question once again, is that are you redeemed? Has Christ died so that we, so that you could go free? Did he die for you? Were you once a slave to sin and to Satan? But not anymore. Christ has died for me and I am his. So then if we come to the Red Sea, if we know we're at a place of of anxiety and we also know that we are the redeemed of the Lord, We know that Christ will not leave us, that He will fight for us, because the enemies that come against us are coming against Him because we are owned by Him. We are His people. We are His children. Our enemies are the enemies of God. And Egypt, as they came against Israel, were enemies of God by their own will. So when we are losing control in our own lives, unable to help help ourselves or help those who are in great need, that is something that we must remember that Christ has died for us. And because of that, He cannot leave us. And the enemy was actually coming, it was actually, they were coming against Israel because God was going to glorify Himself through their wrath. And that's what you see in in the chapter that we read in chapter 14 and verse 4. The Lord says, I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Israel thought that they were about to be butchered. But that day would turn into a day of great rejoicing for them, and the day that the Lord that had freed them would glorify Himself by delivering them from their enemies. So we have to admit by that truth that we often then can get anxious about the very thing that God will use to glorify Himself. The children of Israel were anxious because they were filled with anxiety because the Red Sea was there and it was blocking them. It was stopping them. But God says, that Red Sea, I'm going to use it. The very thing causing your anxiety, I'm going to use it to my glory, and to slay your enemies. Because that's when He is most glorified, when we have no strength, and when the greatest of foes come against us.
and he easily overthrows them. But secondly, under this, you look at the enemy within for this cure. Israel, in this picture, had just begun on their journey. They were like new believers in the Christian walk. But just like old believers, they still had much sin and unbelief that they struggled with. And God is now bringing them to this place at the Red Sea because He wants their sin to actually come to the surface. And this is true of us as well, that when we face situations or trials that make us anxious, our sin often rises to the surface. It was always there. We always had that sin that, that causes anxiety, that sin through unbelief. But the situation has only made it come to the surface. But that's exactly where God wants it to be. Perhaps you have heard it illustrated that sanctification is often like gold or silver being refined in a furnace. When gold or silver is refined in a furnace, the dross actually, it comes to the outside of the gold. It comes to the place where you can see it. It was always there. The dross was always in the gold, but now it's being purified in the fire, and it comes to the surface. But only sin that comes to the surface is the sin that is done away with, is the sin that is sanctified. It's only the dross that rises to the outside of the gold and the silver that falls away. It will never leave the gold as long as it sits in the heart of the gold and the silver. And when our sin rises to the surface, when we find ourselves being overcome with anxiety, the worst thing we could do is say that it's not sin, to say that it's not dross, and to push it back and to hide it away. But to, but to, admit, it, but to admit it, to call it what it is, that it's sin, that we don't really trust the Lord, that there is unbelief there. Now, as I've just said that, I must, as an aside, briefly mention that there is anxiety that does not come from sin. There is anxiety that can come from mental health issues. Our minds, our brains are just just as much a part of our body as everything else that can get sick, that can have issues or problems with it. But mental health and anxiety that comes from that oftentimes doesn't make sense. You're anxious about something and you really don't understand why. Whereas anxiety that comes from unbelief, anxiety that comes from unbelief is, it comes usually from something and you know what it is you're worried about. You know that there is something and you lose sleep over it. You toss and you turn with it and you worry about it constantly. That is most likely not mental health. That is a sin of unbelief. But coming back to our story, God brought Israel to the Red Sea so that they would see their unbelief. And in seeing their unbelief, they would repent of it when He proved Himself to them. When our sin rises to the surface, it is not a bad thing. It's actually something that we can take comfort in and to cure our anxiety is that God has brought this anxiety before me because He's going to do away with it. He's going to sanctify me. He's going to purge that sin from us. He's going to cause our faith in Him to grow. That we will believe Him more. 
That is part of the cure for anxiety, to admit that we are being overcome by anxiety. But as we go on now to the third and final point, we're going to look at anxiety's last cure at the deliverance at the Red Sea. And the first thing that happened in this deliverance was that God comforted them. They had lost all control of the situation and their hearts were raging with unbelief and overcome with anxiety. But in the midst of this, when they were at their worst at the Red Sea, Moses spoke to them. And in Moses' words, we have the word of God to his people. As Moses spoke as a prophet to them. It says, And Moses said unto the people, this is verse 13 of chapter 14, Fear ye not, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Israel had suffered under the Egyptians for 400 years, but now the Lord brings this word to them. You will not suffer under them again. They will not pursue you again. They will not make war against you again. You will be free from their bondage forever. They would not hear the sound of the Egyptian taskmaster, the cracking of his whip. They would not live in terror of their children being taken away from them and thrown into the Nile. They would never know the cruelty of the Egyptians again, not after that day. That is the word that the Lord spoke to them. That was God's voice to them by the Red Sea. And the Lord told them how He would do this through Moses in verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. That's the last thing that they deserve to hear. They're accusing God. They're saying that everything that He had done for them, it was just for their destruction. Every good thing that had happened to them, it's about to turn against them. Well, that God that they accuse is now speaking to them. He said, be still. I'm going to fight for you. You will be delivered. Hold your peace. You will watch as I conquer your foes. And when we are overcome, when we are overcome by anxiety, that is the voice that we need to hear. It's the Lord's voice. Because that voice calms our fears over the noise of all of our anxiety and all of our troubles. And this text shows us that He is willing to comfort us. Regardless of the sin that is in our own hearts, He's willing to speak to us and to calm us when we are anxious. And where do we hear His voice? We hear His voice in our own quiet time when we seek His face. When we seek to read His Word, I cannot tell you how many countless times I could say the Lord spoke to me. I woke up a morning or it was an evening or something and I was greatly troubled and I heard the Word of the Lord and it just calmed my fears. Even though my situation didn't change, I heard the Lord's voice and it was calming to me by reading His Word. You hear His voice in the place of prayer when you come before Him and you pour out your burdens to Him. And in pouring out your burdens, you just feel a peace. You know the Lord knows now. The Lord has heard. He speaks to you with peace. Or even in this sermon that you're hearing this morning, if this is a faithful proclamation of the Word of God, then this is the very Word of God to you this morning and to me. This is the voice of the Lord to calm our fears and our anxieties. 
you know, oftentimes when we go through anxious, when we go through trials or times, things that cause anxiety, the thought that goes through our minds is that we have to devote more time to fixing our problems. We have to devote more time to thinking about it, dealing with it, even if that means having less time before the Lord. We, we have to get the situation dealt with. Well, the place, you know, there is a time and a place for spending time dealing with problems that come up, but it's never to exclude hearing the voice of God. It's never without His voice. It's never without His leading. And that's one of the reasons that God allows us to come to a Red Sea, a place where we have no power, because there we'll stop spending time trying to fix it. And we'll come to hear His voice. And we'll come to hear what He has to say. And He will comfort us in that time. And we'll come, come further on in this. Looking now at God made a way for them. Under this last point, that God made a way for them. One of the causes of their anxiety would now become the means of their deliverance. They thought the Red Sea was a wall, was a cage that was only going to get them killed. But it was actually the road that saved them. In verse 21, chapter 14, we read, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. God knew that was the path for them the entire time. Even when the waters covered that portion of the Red Sea and they were panicking by it, God saw that road the whole time. He knew it was there. And when the time was right, He divided it. And He just opened the road, but He knew it was there the entire time. So we ask ourselves again, what is it that makes us feel trapped? What is it that makes us feel powerless? The bad job or sickness, family, trouble of any kind. That is what God can use to actually deliver us from, from our enemies. You know, Egypt was a symbol of, of Satan and the world coming against Israel. So then we can say that God used... God used the cause of their anxiety to deliver them from the attack of Satan, from the attacks of the devil. And that is how God even works today. That is how He can work even today in our lives. To use what we would call dark providences in our lives to defeat the attacks of Satan against us, to, to take away sin out of our lives and to sanctify us. He can use dark providences to do that. And He does use dark providences to do that. To bring us peace. Bringing a dark providence to our life to bring us peace when we haven't known peace for a long time. Israel hadn't known peace for a long time. But this dark providence would bring it to them. And in doing so, the Lord would display His power and His wisdom. And the world, most importantly Israel, would see the glory of the Lord and of their King when He delivered them. All of those things are a strong cure for anxiety. I come now to a close.
As the morning dawned, God fought against the Egyptians with the rising of the sun. They were drowned in the Red Sea. And when Israel saw the power of God on display, you read in the last verse of of this chapter that the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. The night where their hearts were overcome with anxiety was followed by the morning of praise, the morning of greater faith. That can be true of us when we feel overcome with anxiety. You know, but we're not called to anxiety. We're not called to go through, through long periods of anxiety as we wrestle with the trials that we face. We're called to be still and to see the salvation of the Lord, even if it tarries. So when we find ourselves overcome with anxiety, I simply remind you of the things we have already went over, the things that we must remember. We must remember the times where the Lord has fought for us in the past because He has, and He will continue to do so. We must remember that He has provided for us in the past, and He has promised that He will continue to do so because we are His most precious possession. We must also remember that He is the one that has allowed us to be brought to our Red Sea. He's brought us to this place where we are afraid, where we are anxious. It's where He wants us to be. We also must remember that our enemy is His enemy because we are His redeemed people. We are His. And He's not ashamed to call us His even when we don't act like we're His redeemed people. We also must remember that our sin has risen to the surface. Yes, but it has risen that it may be burned away that it may be sanctified, that we would trust Him more, that we would live without fear, without anxiety, that we would trust our Savior. But we must also seek to hear His voice. We can do all the remembering that we can, but I know there is no peace until you hear the Lord's voice. We must also be at peace. Because we know that this is true, without a doubt. He will make a path. We do not see the path. We do not know where it is or how it will be. But He, will, he sees it. He knows exactly where it is. And He will make a way for us in His timing when it is right to do so. That, that is the cure for anxiety. Some of it. There is still more in the passage, but time is gone. But my prayer in considering this story is that our hearts would be calmed. That we would be at peace knowing that the Lord is with us. And He will always be with us. So let us come now before His face before we leave here this morning. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, We have considered this story, but how true this story is in all of our own lives. How true it is, Lord, that so often our hearts are overcome with worry, unbelief, because we think that you will not do all things well. Well, we ask that you would forgive us, and we know that you will not forsake us. Lord, we ask that you would grow our faith. Even be pleased, Lord, to bring us to 
a Red Sea, however unpleasant it may be, that we would trust Thee, Lord, more and more, that we would have faith in our Savior. We're asking these things of Thee because Thou art the only one that can do this. We ask that when we come into that place of anxiety, that You would remind us of these truths, that You would cause our, Lord, our minds to remember this passage, to turn it up and to remember, remember who You are. Remember what You do for Your people. Please, Lord, we ask You would do that for all Thy people here. We pray that Thy people have been spoken to. We pray You would continue to speak to all of us this day by Thy grace, by Thy mercy, and by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in His name and for His glory. Amen.